Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Here comes another episode of Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Podcast. The best moments of the week, ending Friday, October 4th, 2019. Going into the Ring of Honor this weekend, one of four will be the one and only Jake DeLome, part of the Panthers broadcast team now. And Jim Zoki and I had a chance to catch up with Jake yesterday, later in the day, so actually we had to call Zoki and pipe him into this conversation as well. News Talk 1110 WBT. And now they're faced with a third and 14 from their own 31-yard line. They're now moving right to left as we start overtime quarter number two. Blitz again coming. DeLone pumps. He's got time. Throws down. Phil Smith at the 45 to the 40. It's Breaks over. free. It's 20, over. 10, 5. Touchdown. Woo. Touchdown, Steve Smith. 69 yards. And we are going to the NFC Championship game. What an incredible win! Bill Rosinski back in 2004 and our conversation with Jake yesterday. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? We're good. I got Zoki on the line as well. And and Zoke, I think Zoke would absolutely uh, echo this, but I'm going to come out of the gate here and say uh, I've heard a lot of people say this, and it's true. Uh, this guy who used to be uh, the quarterback, the face of the franchise, he's a pretty good broadcaster, too. Well, I, I don't know about all that. I, I, I certainly appreciate it, but uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, I, uh, Zoki can cover his ears for a second, but I have two, uh, I have two professionals on each side of me in the booth. I have uh, Mick Mixon and Zoki, so um, it's, uh, it makes it pretty easy, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It kind of keeps me back in touch with football, I guess you could say, and back to watching film again and following the, uh, the team that I love, and that's the Panthers. And uh, I think it's okay to, to – um, I can be objective, obviously, but I think I have a, a fan voice, uh, hopefully, because uh, I certainly am a fan of the Panthers. It's been so great. I mean, we knew both of you would be great analytically. You'd be great speakers. None of that was a question. It's just it's a different format. It's not a talk show. It's a game, so you have to kind of balance – talking about a game and relaying that to the audience and you and, and Jordan have both seamlessly just jumped right in and done a terrific job at it I've heard a ton of compliments from our listeners that uh, love hearing you and you know you, you know football you know enough about broadcasting and we know broadcasting Bo and I do and so I tell you that you guys are doing a great job I mean that's, that's not just saying words we mean it so both of you guys have, have come out of the gate strong with what you've done so far well it, you know it's fun and I think that's something I've been lucky enough. I've done three of the four games, and Jordan has done one. And we've we've talked about it, and he enjoys the heck out of it because it gets you back involved. And and that's the thing that I think we miss the most as players. You miss the game, you miss the locker room, you miss the camaraderie, and that's something just kind of being back in and uh, get your juices flowing. I know for me, back to watching film of of, of teams and and watching our own team and seeing how. Um, 
Yeah, I think where I'm lucky in a way is that I'm watching North Turner call plays, and I'm watching one of the better offensive coordinators that we've seen in the last 20 years or so. And then on the flip side, having Ron with his handprint, uh, with his fingerprints all over uh, the defense and, and how versatile we've become and some of the things that we've done. I, I, I know it's great for me schematically watching both sides of it and, and see how, uh, how we can be as a team. And certainly 0-2 wasn't what we expected, but two big road wins in a row got us back to 500. And, uh, and that's okay after the first month of the season. And uh, you can start to develop your own identity because really training camp is so different than, than years past. I know certainly when I played, that's where you developed your kind of identity of your team. Um, and so now with the, 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 the practices a whole lot shorter and not as much hitting and things like that, you truly don't know your team until about three or four weeks in. And we're starting to see what this 2019 Panther team is all about. So, Jake, uh, you were the guy for years that everybody talked about, and now you've made the transition to being one of those who talks about the guys on the field, but this weekend you become a hybrid of sorts again because you you start the game in the booth calling the game on the radio network and then halftime rolls around and you go back to the field where you are again, like old times, the show with Steve Smith and Wesley Walls and Jordan Gross and all four of you going into the ring of honor. This is going to be quite a Sunday. You know, it's... uh... I'm so looking forward to it. I don't know any other ways to put it. Um, it's such an honor, uh, and I feel gratitude, and it's like I feel almost peace, uh, so to speak. I know that might be strange to say that, but going back this weekend, yeah, I'll see some ex-players, and, and we're going to relive the past uh, this weekend, and going in with those guys, such special, special athletes, special football players, but especially Jordan and, uh, and Steve because they were teammates of mine for all those years together. And so that's what made it so uh, – that's what, to me, it, it was so special, going, going in with two guys that I shared a huddle with and shared a lot of uh, great moments, tough moments, fun moments, um, and, and going in with two special athletes like that. I'm, I'm glad I can kind of ride their coattail in. And, Jake, I know that uh, you've obviously been preparing for what you'll say. And I'm guessing it's probably not a lot of time because there's four of you uh, in a halftime ceremony there. I don't want to take away from anything that you'll say uh, live uh, on Sunday. But you know, how much time have you spent on that? Have you kind of thought of ideas and thrown them out and changed them with other ones? What's kind of your thought process in terms of just the kind of words you'll use? Well, I don't think uh, we're going to have the over, uh, overly long to speak. Obviously, NFL halftimes are short. Um, I've thought about a few things, but I'm going to be honest. I'm going to go from the heart. That's me. That's who I am. Um, and I'm going to go from the heart. And uh, I, I know I'm going to express my gratitude in a, in a very short uh, amount of time uh, to the uh, not only the Carolina Panthers, but the Panther fans, because I truly felt I was kind of an adopted Carolina um, individual, so to speak. I, I know I have the accent. I know I'm from South Louisiana. I understand I'm Cajun, but truly deep down inside, I'll always be a Carolina Cajun, and that means the world to me. Well, anything that you forget to say at halftime, you have uh, the third and fourth quarter to uh, be on the radio, right? <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we have a lot of good football to talk about. That's the, that's the fun part. You know, the first two games, uh, I felt like I wasn't, uh, I didn't I didn't hold my weight. We, we didn't get any wins, and then Jordan does one game and they win, and so I was kind of feeling left out. I was feeling I was the problem, but I had so much fun in the booth last week, and 
if they would have had a camera on us to see how I was reacting when Ross Cockrell stayed home and made the big interception <laughs> on the trick play or Kyle coming out of the, the sack, uh, almost sacked by J.J. Watt and making the throw and the big uh, fumble recovery by Eric Reed off of Van Bittler's strip. Uh, I was high five. I mean, jumping up. I'm, I'm throwing air fists in the air. <laughs> I was just so fired up because there's nothing like winning in the NFL. Well, maybe that's the key, Zoke. Maybe uh, Mick needs to call the play on the field. You need to uh, describe what's going on with Jake in the in the booth. I mean, we get a bird's eye view of it. I, I see Jake up there moving defensive backs over with his hand, watching that they got to be aligned with the receivers coming out of the formation and those kind of things. And Jake's enthusiasm, anyone who knows him, is, is real. I mean, he's a Panther fan. And so when he says that, I mean, they're really, it's like we go to break. I mean, it's, it's, it's joy when they win and it's disappointment when they lose. Uh, he's fair, though, in all of his comments of what he makes, win or lose. But uh, it is fun watching that enthusiasm that him and Jordan both bring because of the fact that, you know, they want to see the team succeed. We're the Panthers radio network, so we're hoping for them to win. And for him to be analytical and see what's going on in the field and translate that as a guy who happens to be a fan that played for the team, I mean, you just can't get that kind of insight from many places. Hey, Jake, uh, before we let you go, I-, I do want to ask you, because you understand the pressure, the spotlight, what Cam Newton and Kyle Allen feel right now better than uh, just about anybody because you went through it yourself. But what do you make of, A, the Cam Newton situation, and then, B, what Kyle Allen is doing uh, in his stead? Well, I think the Cam situation, we were all waiting to see how the arm and the shoulder were, were, were going to um, – we're going to be this year. I think that was the big question mark. And uh, lo and behold, he obviously had, uh, you know, a foot injury that kind of lingered from the preseason. And he basically came out uh, and said he hit it from the trainers and things like that, the pain he was in. And you knew something was somewhat different because he's such a threat running the football. And we didn't see him do a whole lot of that the first couple of games. So you knew there was going to be an issue. Um, and then for Kyle to come in uh, and to play the way he has, um, Really, it's uh, it, you have a backup quarterback on your team, okay? That's the mentality. And usually the coaches feel like, can this guy get us out of a game or can he enable us to, to not embarrass us, so to speak, for a game or two if something happens to the starter? But Kyle's kind of had to – he's been thrust in, and he played obviously extremely well against Arizona. And then last week on the road in Houston, a much better defensive opponent than the Cardinals won. And there were some tough moments, you know, three fumbles that he had, but he just kept battling back, kept battling back and made the big play, uh, in my opinion, down the stretch to enable us to kind of help seal the game. So watching his growth is fun to see, and I don't think the moniker of only a backup is really kind of – I don't think that's getting placed on him right now. He's showing signs that, hmm, this guy might have a chance at some point, and you want to see progression. And this week's going to be another big test because this is a very, very salty defensive football team that's coming in the Panther Stadium. Man, I tell you what, Zoke, uh, whether it's the broadcast booth or the radio interview, (laughs) uh, this guy's a natural. He is, uh, you know, and we're lucky to have him because he's Ivan local. For him to (laughs) travel and come join us for these 10 games this year, it's just outstanding. Of course, Jordan's doing the same thing from Idaho, so I know they enjoy it. They enjoy the work, but there is a travel component that you guys didn't see, like Jake driving three hours each direction to get to that game in Houston last week. So not only are they preparing all week and doing a great job on the game, but, you know, making an effort to get up uh, to these games. This is not in Charlotte local for these guys, and uh, it's really been a pleasure so far. Hey, Jake, congratulations. Uh, we're all uh, proud of you and can't wait to see this uh, this weekend. It's so well-deserved. 
Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend also. Newsmakers talk to Bo Thompson. Direct from the White House this morning, the acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Bo, I've known you for several years now, (laughs) and I hope you know that my BS level with you is very low. Mr. Johnny Harris, good morning, sir. Good morning, Bo. Jim Nance, uh, welcome to WBT. Thank you, Bo. It's uh, great to be in Charlotte. This is WBT's Morning News with Bo Thompson. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. John Stokes, on Monday, 32 years at News Talk 1110 WBT. So really? let us be. <laughs> yeah. I've not heard that. That's because you weren't here. <laughs> seems there was like a party. They had cake. I mean, it seems was... like just yesterday was 31 years. Yeah. Wow. I, 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 I thought you were stuck on 29, actually. <laughs> I was looking through some audio last night. Uh-oh. And this is always, always the piece of audio that we come back to. With John Stokes, I believe this was 1997, but in honor of this occasion, let me roll this. We've had the discussion constantly. You know, my wife loves Mel Gibson. So you say, you know, yeah. she said, well, that is the one person that I would be tempted with. You know, Mel would you Gibson. give me permission kind of thing? Well, Who no, gets you going now? Well, for me, it's kind of Cindy Crawford when she first came out. Madeline Albright. <laughs> I don't think we could. Anybody had a straight face in this room for the next. That's your legacy for 32 years of broadcasting. She was cute. I don't know, right? Hey, better uh, choice than Mel Gibson. uh, You've been the common denominator through uh, all the years Zoki and I've been here, and uh, we appreciate what you do. And uh, congratulations on 32 years, Mr. Stokes. And here's the next 32. Yes, sir. Here we are. Yes. And that audio, of course, included Al Gardner. Here's some Danny Fontana in there. Might have even had Rosinski in there. Good morning. Yes. 10-5, touchdown, Panthers. <laughs> and by the way, more audio of that type coming up Friday, my next WBT Century podcast. Hint, hint. Oh. I will tell you, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a podcast completely about John Stokes. What but, if I told you? But there is. What if I told you there's more John Stokes in that podcast? So we've recorded other things in the past 32 years other than Madeleine Albright? Uh, yes, we have. Things that I forgot about that uh, I've had some fun with uh, going through the old tapes of it. But again, I'm not going to tell you exactly what this is all about yet. You just have to wait and tune in on Friday morning, episode four of my WBT Century podcast. But uh, congratulations, three decades plus for John Stokes. Bo Thompson, his best of the week on WPT. Plus, extended interviews and exclusive digital content. This is Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Right now, time to bring on our cybersecurity expert, Teresa Payton, with Fortalis Solutions locally here and trying to keep track of the travel itinerary. Uh, last week, she was in Germany. Hope Germany was good. It really was. It was great to be with the central bank. So I was with the ECB, and I was the only presenter on cybercrime and the systemic risk that cybercrime is creating for banking worldwide. And I kind of surprised them with one of my ideas. Um, so fingers crossed. I'm hoping it'll happen. So it's October second now, and it may not feel like fall outside. But uh, when I say October to you, it's not just the season; uh, it's the month. More importantly, for what it means to your industry, it is. And you know, not just the fact that I love a good pumpkin spice, <laughs> but it is National and International Cybersecurity Awareness Month, which means 
that both consumers and businesses are going to get lots of information from law enforcement and other nonprofit organizations on what you can do to protect yourself from old school threats that are happening, but also the new and emerging cyber criminal threats that are happening. So you and I have talked about wearable technology many times on this show, and that usually means like a Fitbit or an Apple Watch. New technology alert this week, something that falls into the category of wearable technology because it actually lives, the Internet even, inside of something you wear, as in an article of clothing. This is really interesting because a lot of times you're right. When you and I have talked about wearable technology, it's typically been wearable fitness or wearable music. Levi's has announced that they'll actually have Google Tech built into some of their denim jackets. It will allow your jacket to connect with your smartphone via Bluetooth. It's going to be very small, and it's going to allow you through hand gestures (laughs) to using the jacket cuff to actually control music, calling somebody, navigation, even taking pictures. If you see somebody gesturing wildly, they might be waving at you, or they might just be using their Levi jacket. And it's called uh, the Jackward, like J-A-C-Q-U-A-R-D, by Google Tag. Do you, uh, are, are you in favor of this technology? Does this scare you? Where do you come down on this? Well, um, I'm, a, I'm a little hesitant. I, there's a lot about it that sounds cool. So no longer will you have to, like, have your phone in your hand. You could be hands-free. Um, so we're not dropping our phones or staring at our phones, which I think can really be a good thing. But I do have some concerns around the actual technology in your jacket itself. Is it tracking patterns? Where do the patterns go? Is it merely just a transmitter to and from your phone via Bluetooth? Is it going to secure that Bluetooth connection? So I have a lot of questions about your and my privacy and security when we wear these, but I can see the appeal of being able to walk down the street and if you have a problem or you need something, not having to get the phone out and instead, you can actually engage your phone by using the sleeve of your clothing. So switching topics here, I have a good feeling that many people listening to us right now, and this is probably a good bit different than maybe even a year ago, but many people listening right now have been affected in some way or another, uh, most of you at work, with ransomware and being attacked by uh, someone using ransomware. And I know uh, you still double down on the idea that you do not pay the ransom. That's right. I mean, there, there's, there's so many things. I don't judge people and organizations that do ultimately end up paying because they're in a very difficult situation. But a, a couple of things about ransomware when you do decide to pay. First of all, your funding cyber criminals who are not just doing ransomware. They are doing other crimes, and sometimes you're actually funding terrorism, nation-state manipulation campaigns, and things that are even worse than that, like human trafficking. So when you're doing the decision of to pay or not pay, you know, obviously, if you have really good backups and you can pinpoint when you got infected, you don't have to pay. You restore from backup. But here's some really good news. We have needed a bright spot on ransomware for a while, and that is that Europol has celebrated their third anniversary of something called the No More Ransom Initiative. They are tired of people being defenseless and feeling like it's a choice between good or bad backups and pay or not pay and dealing with the pain. So they have actually been creating and acquiring 
the de-encryption keys to actually unlock ransomware. So if you are hit by ransom as a business or as an individual, go check out Europol's No More Ransom Initiative. At this point in time, they have counted more than 200,000 victims that they've been able to help who avoid paying because they gave them the key. Final thing this week with Teresa Payton, our cybersecurity expert locally with Fortalis Solutions. So Facebook announces in a blog post a couple of days ago that it has suspended tens of thousands of apps. Now, why that is of note is when the Cambridge Analytica data scandal hit about a year ago, in the wake of that, they said that only 400 apps had been affected. So travel forward 12 months or so, you go from 400 to tens of thousands. What's going on here? Well, Bo, like I always say, a data breach or a privacy breach never gets smaller with time, does it? It (laughs) always gets bigger because we always learn more. Um, I'm dismayed, but not surprised that the number has gone up. But I do want to give Facebook applause for one, finding these, two, being very public about it, and three, shutting these down. But I still believe, though, we are only at the tip of the iceberg, and Facebook is not alone. We have There's this insatiable appetite on the part of Silicon Valley companies to be a bigger and more uh, kind of part of our lives and monetizing being a part of our lives. And so because of that insatiable appetite, that insatiable appetite to track you and me, who we're connected to, what we're doing when we're on the app, before we came to the app, after we left the app, all of that information is completely at risk especially through these third-party apps. This isn't going to be the end. We've heard of it. So we are fortunate in that somebody came forward and talked about Cambridge Analytica, a whistleblower. Um, We are fortunate because we now know that and we're better informed. And I do expect to see more and more states and countries start to talk about privacy regulation. You just saw California um, next year. In effect, if you have any California resident data and or do business in California, they have their new CCPA law. And a lot of what came out of that law is on the heels of Cambridge Analytica and the EU's response by strengthening GDPR. So more to come on that. But I think it's very important for people to know that third-party apps connected to Facebook um, so the games that you play, those mystery quizzes, the what's your, you know, what's your gangster name, all, all those different things that you do, those third-party apps are collecting data about you, and you're not sure how it's going to be used because it's not fully disclosed. All right. So uh, in, in short, keep your digital guard up at all times. Teresa Payton, our cybersecurity expert, always enjoy the conversation. Thanks for having me on, though, and uh, be safe out there. You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Yeah. Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirt and gritty. Bend down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. Yeah, hot time. October in the city. Ray Stajic from the Weather Channel. I don't even know what to say anymore. Me neither. And I'm here twice, so we know it's extra special. I, I, seriously, I mean, uh, so <laughs> when you crunch the numbers here, uh-huh. uh, you can uh, find out all kinds of interesting things. Now, I'll start with yeah. this. A record number of 90-degree days for the month, this past month, September, at 21 days. Uh-huh. That's more than in August and more than in June. 
Mm. Combined? Well, yeah, it's, it feels, you know, you, you think about it, you're like, maybe combined, but no. Uh, it's starting to feel that way. All right, so the question is, or I have, yep. many, I have many questions for you. Okay. But the first one is, this weekend, yeah. Saturday, yeah. looking really nice on Saturday, a high of 74. Is that a tease, or is that a trend? I feel a trend. I like where if, you're going here. I don't. I certainly don't see mid and upper 90s coming back. Right. And I think once this high comes in, it'll sit off to our northeast. It looks more like a fall weather pattern where we get, you're going to hear um, a wedge coming in. Basically, it's a northeast flow um, around that circulation, that high pressure to our north and east. And that means our air mass is going to be coming more from a north-northeasterly direction. And early next week, we'll have a cold front coming in too, a second little push of cooler air that may cool us down even further than the upcoming weekend. And then beyond that, I'm looking into the following weekend. There might be another little front coming in. These are cold fronts. So things now are starting to look and feel synoptically, weather-wise, more like fall. You get more frequent fronts, and each time we get these cold fronts, they reinforce the cool, and then as we get into the winter months, the cold air. And as we get through, and I'm just extending it out there just for fun right now, um, the middle of the month, I don't see anything that's going to bring back any 90-degree temperatures, maybe not even any upper 80-degree temperatures toward the end of the month. Around the 18th or the 20th, looks like another cool shot coming in, too. So, you know, things right now do look a little bit more reasonable and seasonable as we look ahead toward the weekend next week and maybe even beyond that. But here's the thing. That's yeah. all That's all fine and good, and I like yep. where you're going there. But we got to get through today, tomorrow, yes. and Thursday. Uh, today, Thursday, and Friday first. And, uh, what, 92 yesterday? Yep. Uh, that was a record, I believe. Tied, yep. Okay, so today we're looking at 96, and then tomorrow... 98. So it yep. is in within reason that on the 3rd of October, mm-hmm. we could potentially hit the triple-digit mark. That That's just remarkable. Yeah, and here, here's one of my rules in forecasting. Anytime a forecast temperature, let's say that 98, is, you know, when I say 98, I always would think it could get a degree or two hotter. It could be mm-hmm. a degree or, degree or two colder. Um, That's kind of like my theory or my own philosophy where, hey, it's 98, but we know how things go. There's a little error, margin error in there. It could be as much as two degrees, and we could get 100. So, you know, we're rivaling not only temperatures that are in the upper 90s, close to 100 degrees, but we'll find out after this week or after the next couple of days whether we're looking at all-time October highs, which some spots may have already set. Um, All-time latest 95, all-time latest 100, if somebody does get 100 degrees. Um, But uh, you know, it does look like it's going to come to an end. And we had mentioned what I did tweet out, Bo, that we were talking about last yeah. September by a tenth of degree was actually milder than this past September. Now, you know, I was talking to my wife earlier uh-huh. this week and uh, my daughter's birthday is in October. And she said, you know, everybody's making this big deal about the heat this year. But I remember last year, I seem to remember, and her birthday's later in the month, uh-huh. we were talking about actually possibly being able to go out to Lake Wiley and actually swim on her birthday. Now, it didn't end up happening. I think the first cold weekend of the year uh, happened before that, but it was just before it. So even though we're talking these crazy temperatures, uh, it is not unprecedented, even though we may have short memories about it. Yeah, I think unprecedented from what we've seen over the last, um, I don't want to say decade or so. There's been a lot more warmer temperatures, and uh, for what it's worth, you know, the average temperature is warmer 
Um, so that's a discussion for another day. But what we did this month that we didn't do, what we did in September this year, which we didn't do last year, is right around the 20th to the 22nd, we had a stretch of overnight lows that were in the low to mid-50s to near 60 degrees. That was this year. Last year, I think the overnight lows, which didn't get below the low 60s, made up for the lack of 90-degree highs. We didn't have as many 90-degree high temperatures last year in September as we did this year. But as we said, it still ended up cooler, probably because of um, us having that little dip this year into the 50s where we didn't have that last year in September at night. So, uh, you know, we always pay attention to daytime highs. But you can track the overnight low temperatures, too, and there are many record set for the highest low temperatures also in many cities across the southeast and even pushing up now up the I-95 corridor. Today, D.C. is going to be in mid-90s, may have one of the latest 95-degree temperatures on record there. i got to go take a water break. Okay. Uh, um, I appreciate it, as always. <laughs> hey, you know, good news and bad news and also yeah. the, the context in between. That's what we love about Ray Stagic. Thank you. I appreciate All right, it. Bo. All yep. right. Have a good one. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Before we bring on our next guest, let's go back to this past weekend. Two-point conversion for the lead against number one. Powell sends Newsom in motion. He'll fake the handoff to Williams. Sprint option near side. Howell taken down, flips it to Newsom. He leaps for the goal line but can't get there. Clemson makes the stop not once but twice. Taking down Hal and then Hal, last gasp, flipped it to Newsom, who almost was able to get in. 117 to go. Tar Heels have been aggressive all fourth quarter long. They find themselves down one and out of timeouts. They'll have to onside kick. And they almost got it done with that onside kick. But in the end, uh, a one-point loss to then number one Clemson. And Jones Angel, boy, when we talked to you last week, we were talking about uh, Carolina playing the Tigers tough and what that would mean. i got to tell you, though, around these parts, we have Riverboat Ron, as in Ron Rivera, as a a guy who goes for it now and then. And I know uh, a lot of the talk around Chapel Hill this week and around the college football world has been Riverboat Mac and uh, going for those two. And uh, what what is the the talk uh, up there at, at Carolina about that? move you know uh, and great to be with you guys Bo and uh, always enjoy the time you know it is I think Mac Brown explained it pretty well he basically said look at this point in my career I'm not worried about taking another job I'm not really worried about getting fired and I don't really care what people say I'm going to do what I think is best for my team at that moment and he said he just felt like they needed to stay aggressive and that they needed to go for it and even in that clip that you played I referenced being aggressive all fourth quarter long. You know, Carolina had gone for three or four fourth downs in that fourth quarter, one of which was not successful, which set up a Clemson drive that they scored a touchdown. And then on that eight-and-a-half-plus-minute drive that finished the game, uh, they converted a couple of fourth downs. So they were very aggressive the entire quarter. And Coach Brown said he felt like to have the best chance, they had a better chance to get that two-point conversion to get those three yards for the two to take the lead than they did to uh, hold on in a tie game and keep Clemson from scoring at the end and then also winning in overtime. And so uh, I think it sends the the message to his guys that he wants to win, he wants to be aggressive. He sends that message to recruits as well. And 
Um, 98% great day in Keenan Stadium. A lot of positives for Carolina coming out of that game. Obviously, they'd have liked that, that last 2% to have gone the right way, too. And, uh, Jones, I, I think everyone largely agreed going for two was the right decision there, and it was fun to, to at least have that opportunity. But th- th- not enough maybe said about the defense to hold that Clemson team to 21 points. I mean, nobody's done that against the Tigers in a long time. Zook, I thought it was the, they were the star of the game to me for Carolina was Carolina's defense. And I think anybody who has watched Carolina the last couple of seasons and watched them so far this year would agree that Carolina's defense has been better. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's, that side of the ball has taken some really positive steps. But what made that performance so stunning on Saturday was just how good Clemson is. And, you know, the Tigers came in averaging 42 points and 525 yards and like 26 or 27 first downs a game. And they ended up with 21 points and 330 yards and I think it was 14 first downs. And, you know, the Carolina's defense stood toe-to-toe every moment of that game with just uh, one of the best offenses in college football. And so uh, really a, a positive performance all the way around, even with the two-point conversion not, not being converted for Carolina. I think the question now is, can Carolina – do that again? Can, can the Heels build off of this and move forward with it and not let that be a one-week thing? And, and guys, I think we may have talked about this last week, but Mac Brown has really hammered home that he wants his team to perform to the standard that, that they set for themselves and that they need to do that whether they're playing Clemson or whether they're playing who else or anybody else. And this week it's Georgia Tech, but that shouldn't matter. It, it should matter that you played at this level that you know if you practice and compete to that you have a chance, because we've seen it, that you have a chance to beat anybody in the country. And so can Carolina consistently hit that level or close to it? I I think will be uh, interesting to watch as this program and this team matures over the rest of this season. Talking to the play-by-play voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels, Jones Angel here on WBT's Thursday Morning News. Bo Thompson, Jim Zoki here in studio. And back to what Zoki said a minute ago, to have the opportunity, Jones, to win that game is saying something just in of itself. And I think it's interesting uh, when, when, you, when you talk about uh, where this team is, even though they did not win, they knocked Clemson off the top post. I mean, now Clemson is number two in the in the AP poll, and uh, so so the Tar Heels, uh, you know, send tremors through the whole college football scene, and, and they don't even win the game. Yeah, I've never left a game though before where, and again. I want to be clear. It's about wins and losses. Mm-hmm. So the, the Tarheels aren't happy. You know what I mean? But I think I, I don't know if I've ever left left a game that that the team lost that you felt so hopeful though because you saw what it could be, and, and we've seen that at times this year already. Though the South Carolina game, the Miami game, this Clemson game, and again I think it gets to we've seen that the Tarheels when they practice really well, when they prepare really well, when they execute, that they can hang with, they can beat anybody that, that you put in front of them. That doesn't mean they're going to do it, but that they can be right there and have a chance to do so. But we've also seen in Wake Forest and Appalachian State that when they aren't as energetic, when it isn't quite the same level, that that doesn't happen. And so I'll go back to what I said. Carolina has to try to get back to that level on a consistent basis. But you're absolutely right. It's funny. I, I, I would venture to say there's been more talk about Carolina football this past week and since that game on Saturday 
than many, maybe any other game in, in recent years, even though the Tar Heels didn't win because it caught the attention of so many people. Uh, so many people saw, oh, wait, hold on now, Clemson's in trouble. And, mm-hmm. and when you tuned in to hear or watch that, you also saw a pretty impressive performance from Carolina. And so, uh, again, the Heels would have loved to have won that game. It's about wins and losses in the end. But I think the, the total result from that day was positive for Carolina. Well, Jones, uh, as you said, Georgia Tech coming up this week. They're struggling. Of course, they're kind of building from the ground up with uh, passing the football for the first time in a long time down there. But as the Tar Heels uh, proved to Clemson, you can't take anybody lightly in the ACC. Absolutely cannot. And and this is a team in Georgia Tech. They are struggling, and, and they're going through a transition with a new coach and maybe even a more severe transition, as you referenced, though, because they're going from that triple option to a more traditional look offensively. But Carolina's had a lot of trouble down in Atlanta. Since Coach Brown ended his first tenure here, Carolina's won a grand total of one time in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. That was back in 2015 when the Heels had that terrific 11-1 and regular season. And so, and even that year, they had to come back from 21 nothing. So it's been a hard place to win. Uh, Georgia Tech, while it has not gotten the results it wants, is playing really hard, and they go really hard. And so they'll be fired up, and they'll be looking for a big conference win. And you know, Carolina has an open date next week, and so just a really important game. I think it's the biggest game of the year for Carolina. There's a difference, big difference, in three and three and a win and positive momentum going into the open date compared to two and four. You've lost four in a row. You lose some good feelings from that Clemson performance. Um, this is a really, really big game for Carolina coming up Saturday. It's 4 o'clock, a little bit of a funky time. 4 o'clock kick. We'll be on the air at 3 p.m. Uh, for the Heels and the Jackets. Right here on WBT, Jones Angel joins us every Thursday, Voice of the Tar Heels. Thanks for your time, Jones. Always enjoy, guys. Talk to you soon. The best of the week on to men. This is Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Bo Thompson, Jim Zoki, and as always on Fridays at this time, we bring on our good buddy from WFNZ, as he said last week, four-fifths of <laughs> Wilson and Parcel. It might be actually closer to five-fifths. Uh, I am solo today, and I also had a heavy breakfast, so it's. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how this goes today. Nick Wilson. He's bringing 110% of the show today. (laughs) Nick is with us, Nick Wilson. And uh, before I get into some Panthers stuff, we were just talking before we came on the air. I mean, this is this is the sweet spot, right? This is the time of year. And I guess you could you could bring in a couple of other times. But October, I I, you know, I don't pay much attention to to Major League Baseball in the regular season, but I lock right in when the playoffs start, especially if the Braves and the Yankees are in there. And then uh, now we have NFL kick, you know, in, in full swing, and you get some NHL and, and NBA preseason. I mean, this is the time. Yeah, this is the time of the year where I turn into a polar bear because <laughs> everybody in my house abandons me because they're like, oh, dad is watching either baseball, hockey, or f- some level of football or basketball. Like, dad is uh, just, I'm, I'm excommunicated because I live in a house full of women. But no, it, it is great. I mean, last night. Do I, the kids I bring you a fish while you're watching or something? They or? bring me nothing. <laughs> they bring me nothing. Gotta feed the polar bear. Other than cold he must, stares. He must, on, he must catch his own fish. Yes, that's true. Uh, but no, no. So uh, last night, I'm, I'm flipping back and forth between a great Braves Cardinals game, and then I, I, I like, I need, I need like three more TVs in my house just for this month of the year because I also had to watch. I had on 
my phone the Seahawks and the Rams. It's great. It's the best part of the year. It well, is. You uh, were here last week, actually the last couple of weeks, talking about, uh, or we were we were questioning your level of faith in Kyle Allen. Mm-hmm. All right, so before I ask you where your head is on on Kyle Allen now, I want to revisit Sunday afternoon. 13-10, Carolina, 3-14 to go. Panthers trying to get on the road and engineer a clutch week four road upset of Houston. Right to the left, Olsen to the left. On third down and six, Allen retreats. Oh. Allen is almost sacked, but he keeps his balance. Now he throws to the right, and it is caught at the 12-yard line. First down, Panthers. Incredible. Jarius right from Kyle Allen, who went off script and played it just right. That was a Houdini move to get out of the now, grasp. Of now, uh, when we look back at this play, uh, and on paper his stats were not great on Sunday, and uh, that was not a scoring play right there. But that, if they end up riding the ship and really moving on and doing something, that play right there may be one, may be the turning point. Yeah, and I, I think it showed why everybody likes Kyle Allen in that locker room. I mean, it, it took an incredible amount of poise and, and somehow – I mean, the ability to duck under J.J. Watt, who is a six foot five, 300-pound menace. And then he, he had the wherewithal, by the way, not to put his knee on the ground. And so he was able to pick himself up and then to make a, a, a throw that was a, a tough throw to make, considering the circumstances. No, I mean, I, listen, I think, I think it's really important with every Kyle Allen performance, we weight everything equally. And I, what, much to my consternation this week, people have not done that. People have either focused on the, the three turnovers and the three fumbles, or they've focused on the good fourth quarter. The reality is the fumbles, uh, f- you know, five fumbles in two games is, is unsustainable, and it can't happen again. But uh, that, that fourth quarter drive, and I, I, I want to put it on the drive, not just the throw, because the throw is fantastic. The yeah. drive in general, that should make you feel better about Kyle Allen, whether you think he's a starter or a backup. The uh, Jaguars almost look like the Panthers, and they bring in Gardner Minshew early this year, and he's got seven touchdowns and interceptions. He's mobile. I watched the, the, their past game against Denver. He's very mobile in the pocket. He's their second-leading rusher. And their defense had nine sacks against Tennessee two weeks ago. We had the eight-sack game two weeks ago. I mean, this almost looks like a, a coin toss kind of game. Yeah, this feels like a slobber knocker. Uh-huh. This, this feels like two teams that are going to go in there, and it's not going to be pretty football. Right, but who, whichever so kind of similar to last week, like it, it feels like you go from one slobber knocker to another, and and I think the best part about that is you have I, I think I think this team stepped up. I think the defense stepped up last week mm-hmm. in that physical matchup. So I think you should feel good. It's a home game. They've been they lost those two games early. You know they're going to want to get this home game because you don't want to go into London two and three with the prospect of two and four on the other side. But if you uh, if you win this game and you have a winning record heading into the team that really started you on the downward trajectory, Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. first week of the season, it's really interesting how much can change in a short amount of time in the NFL. So, uh, again, we're always sitting here talking about uh, different scenarios of what the headline could be on Monday. Uh, but this is going to be also interesting in, in an era where uh, there are fewer and fewer star franchise running backs. You have two stars of the 2017 draft, Leonard Fournette going up against Christian McCaffrey. This is going to be a good one to watch. Yeah, and it's, you know, and people have said, oh, look, their numbers are so close. And it's like, yes, maybe on the ground, but Christian McCaffrey has distanced himself from Fournette, who's a really, a really good running back. I'm not, I'm not diminishing the kid, but McCaffrey has turned himself into one of the top five weapons in the NFL. And, It'll be interesting because, again, I think if you're the Panthers, you're going to try and shut down Fournette. And if you're the Jags, you're going to try and control Christian McCaffrey. Uh, So who can make those three to four throws late in the game, Minshew or Allen? So, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, McCaffrey leads the league in running back receptions, yards from scrimmage rushing. So 
Is he the MVP if we stopped after four games? Would McCaffrey be the MVP of the league? Or is it still Mahomes? Or? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, like, I, I know. I, we, listen, we can appreciate him, but the problem is the idea of an MVP season in, infl- in the era of inflated passing statistics, it's just darn near impossible. It would have to be Mahomes taking a step back. And no, no other quarterback stepping up for McCaffrey. I, to get I thought it. you were going to say none of the above. It's actually Kyle Allen, right? Uh, listen, <laughs> uh, it is Gardner Minshew's mustache. <laughs> yes, crown him if you want to crown him. <laughs> <laughs> they are who we thought they were. All right, uh, Nick Wilson, FNZ today at ten. Pat McCrory. Nick Wilson, will you quit trying to take away our windows? They're lovely windows. <laughs> we have windows and you don't. Except that the world is not fair. Um, this is what the county commission needs to do. They're having a debate <laughs> about who has window offices and who doesn't. And now you've brought that debate here at Intercom. And it will I'm, be uh, in my contract. I'm tired of hearing about it. It'll be in my next contract that I will get one of your windows specifically. I'm not taking the Lynx windows. I'm not taking uh, the Lynx windows. The Lynx windows you're leaving alone. That window right there. The window right behind you. The one you look out every Don't day. Don't point your finger window. at me, buddy. I have pointed my finger and then hey. some. <laughs> He's telling you not to point. I'm not He's allowed to make eye contact. <laughs> the uh, Pat McCrory Show, where we're outliving our window of time here uh. because it is coming up. By the way, Nick Wilson, 10 a.m., solo today on solo. FNC. Solo. Solo. Right. All With this. no windows, I might yeah. add. It, me in a windowless do do room shouting no into windows. the ether. Um, it's like a bubble boy. Uh, I work perfectly. That's how I work. You'd be perfect for the county commission. Bo Thompson, his best of the week on WPT. Plus, extended interviews and exclusive digital content. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. First day of October. Tuesday morning, I'm Bo Thompson. Time to bring on the line our media expert. He is a professor at Syracuse University, director of the Blyer Center for Pop Culture Studies, Dr. Robert Thompson. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm doing all right. So I heard it said in passing uh, over the weekend that between now and the beginning of the, you know, the Iowa caucuses and the real ramp up for election 2020, the primaries, that this impeachment, if nothing else, is a bridge for all these networks to fill time. And I, I had that question for you in a grand sense from uh, your perspective. Is impeachment big business for the media? Well, it is. It's a constant breaking news story. I mean, uh, uh, the 24-hour cable news channels depend on big stories, hurricanes, shootings, uh, whatever. That's when people tend to go to 24-hour news. Now, Fox figured out a long time ago to get people to watch because they want to watch the shows and the people, uh, and that's why they've been number one for so long. But uh, yeah, big breaking news stuff uh, uh, brings people to these uh, channels, and this is like constant breaking news. I just uh, saw on the the monitor, one of our monitors, many of them in the studio here, but one of them's on Fox News Channel, and they were just showing a picture of Lindsey Graham, then Congressman Lindsey Graham. And Lindsey Graham, when he he first burst onto the scene in a national sense, was during the Clinton impeachment uh, trial of, uh, what, 1999. And I remember we had the coverage here in this studio on this radio station. So uh, if if that was going on then, it only stands to reason that uh, between now and uh, the end of the year or, or, or however long this takes, if it gets that far, uh, it's going to be uh, ad nauseum, essentially. It is really fascinating, too, to watch the difference. It, it's, a, it's a very enlightening exercise to choose any part of the day and flip from CNN 
to MSNBC mm-hmm. to uh, to Fox and see how this is being covered and in some cases uh, not covered. Uh, it, it, there are many dissertations to be written uh, uh, as, it, with regards to how each of these twenty uh, uh, four hour news channels uh, uh, are handling this, and I think Fox especially is really struggling with it because on one level, of course, they've been uh, you know constantly supportive uh, of the president, but I think there is some dissension at Fox as to exactly how they're going to cover this. Well, and and no matter what channel it is, uh, the the way you know, the the way it works these days is you have these official hearings, and then as soon as those. Uh, hearings are over. Uh, everybody disperses and goes on the various networks and does follow-up interviews. <laughs> so uh, you can't, you can barely take a breath between the the end of the the the, the official back and forth, and then uh, the various networks do their individual things. Right. And what happens on those various networks uh, ends up being part of the you know official uh, uh, official record. Uh, the Rudy Giuliani uh, appearances, of course, have been uh, 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 his appearances on. 24-hour news channels are as much news as the news that he's appearing about. Yeah, and I just saw, uh, we heard an interview with him uh, within the last hour, and sounds like he's losing, losing his voice. He was on so many places this weekend. Uh, other things I want to hit with you here. First of all, a Saturday Night Live on Saturday night. I see you. I hear you. I sniff you. And I hug you from behind. Now, as I ask any time I walk into a room, where am I and what the hell is going on here? <laughs> now, that was Woody Harrelson on the season premiere playing Joe Biden. You know, uh, Jason Sudeikis for so long played Joe Biden. And I, I, I wonder because it w- I assume this was a one off because Woody Harrelson was hosting the season premiere. But right, right. you also had in that segment, you had Larry David reprising his role as Bernie Sanders. Now, you had Maya Rudolph come in and play Kamala Harris. And then you had uh, uh, the, the role of Elizabeth Warren that was a. Uh, uh, Kate McKinnon, but I, I, I guess I'm building to the point. I thought that Alec Baldwin was done with the Trump thing, and there he was uh, in the cold open. So who's going to play what once this show uh, goes into its regular rotation? Yeah, I thought Alec Baldwin, if I'm not mistaken, announced that he was done doing yeah. the Trump thing, uh, which I didn't have a problem with because I was getting kind of tired of his uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, his Trump. But there he was in the uh, very beginning uh, of the show, so I guess he's not done. Um, Woody Harrelson, I think, did a really good uh, Joe Biden, including he had the best line of the entire night uh, as Biden. He says, look, I'm like a plastic straw. I've been around forever. I always worked, but now you're (laughs) mad at me. Yes. I I thought that was pretty hysterical. But the the highlight of the evening was Maya Rudolph's Kamala Harris. She nailed that so beautifully. It reminds me of the, uh, 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 remember Tina Fey's um, Oh yes, Sarah Sarah Palin. Uh, which was probably the greatest impersonation uh, 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 up until Sunday night. But I don't know. Maya Rudolph's Kamala Harris is pretty close. Well, whatever happens, uh, they've got people to work with. The question is, can they get them all to come back? You know, that was, as far as getting uh, guest stars to come in and play people, that was almost an all-star segment in of itself. Uh, be interesting to see if they can replicate that. One last thing before I let you go, and this was big news yesterday and notable news if you're a Stranger Things fan, because the amount of time between Stranger Things 
Things 2 and Stranger Things 3 felt like five years. Yeah. And yet you had Stranger Things 3 over 4th of July this, this past summer. And then yesterday, what, three months later, uh, Netflix announces a big deal between the Duffer Brothers and the uh, streaming company. Uh, and this is, this is going to keep Stranger Things around for, for the foreseeable future. It is, uh, uh, and I don't. I don't think we have an exact date yet for this uh, uh, fourth season, but uh, I think everybody's expecting it sometime in 2020. So, uh, uh, not too long from now, and especially in terms of how some of these uh, uh, shows take one, two years uh, uh, off. Sometime, um, it is. You know, Stranger Things. That first season was so delightful, was so interesting, was so different. Um, I'm not sure the next two seasons were quite as good as the first one. Actually, I'm pretty sure that they uh, uh, weren't. But they've set up a lot of stuff, so this season four could be... uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, it's a multi-year deal, and it's worth nine figures. And when you watch what's happening with, you know, the Disney Plus and the NBC Plus and all these uh, networks doing their own streaming thing... Netflix had to sign this deal. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. Uh, Netflix for a while was the uh, kind of the, uh, the you know the only game in town for streaming, not the only one. But uh, now it's uh, right. A, a year from now, people are going to need if they want to watch one thing, they're going to need Disney. If they want to watch another right. thing, they're going to need CBS All uh, All Access. And it's true. Uh, all of these places are working a lot harder and paying enormous mm-hmm. amounts of money uh, uh, for their library. I mean. Uh, half a billion dollars for The Office, for Friends, for Seinfeld. And these are old reruns of shows that were playing, in some cases, back in the 20th century. Yeah, and if you want to see the teaser, there's already a teaser released yesterday online for this season four that we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. Dr. Robert Thompson, always enjoy talking to you, sir. Have a great Tuesday. You too. Thank you. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. Carowinds Asco can be more fun than holding on tight and yelling out your lungs than winning the game and bringing home what you won. Nothing's more fun between the rides and the shows. Uh, this is my childhood right here. Nothing's the same. You find something. Back in the day. Nothing's more fun. Nothing's more fun than Carowinds. Be one of the first to take the plunge on the all-new Whitewater Falls, a heart-pounding plummet over a five-story waterfall. But just so we can say we warned you, you're going to get wet, very wet. Come and discover why nothing's more fun. You know, Whitewater Falls is still there. I remember when, yeah, that was, uh, gosh, that was what, I guess late 80s, early 90s, that spot oh right goodness. there. You have not been to Carowinds yet. I have not. My son has been begging to go, but I have not been yet, just because of the weather. Charles just handed me something that said, and now I dropped it, that, uh, what, the Fury voted the, the number one in the world for several years now. It's, it's if not the tallest, it's one of the tallest. The Fury, and now your son's not, my, my, my kids don't want to, one of them will ride the Fury, the other won't. And uh, I, I rode the Fury once. I used to be the one in the family that was like, I'll ride anything. I rode yeah. the Fury once and said, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll go ride something else. <laughs> Is that the one that I can see driving from the highway? Oh, yeah. Well, you can see that one. You can see the Intimidator. Um, yeah, definitely one one of them that you can see. Okay. Carowinds has upped its game roller coaster wise uh, in the last several years, but there's a story today. Reuters is reporting that Six Flags is interested in acquiring Carowinds' parent company, Cedar Fair. Oh. 
So Six Flags, I've been to Six Flags over Georgia. You ever been to the Six Flags parks? Only when I was younger, not yeah. before they became what they are right now. Be interesting if this happens because it wouldn't be the first time that Carowinds has been bought. Uh, Paramount bought it in the uh, the late 80s, early 90s, and so it was Paramount's Carowinds for about a 10, 15-year stretch. Wow. And uh, I used to like... There's there's a certain aspects of that because when I was a kid, I remembered Carowinds one way. Then Paramount bought them, and they started changing some of the rides' names. And then they actually had—I mean, they even went so far as to have a Wayne's World roller coaster and theme park part of the park. It was—it was—I mean, it was awesome. yeah at the height of Wayne's World. <laughs> Wayne's World hasn't exactly <laughs> aged so well, so it wouldn't really fit. I mean, they still have the Hurler, I think. I think it's still called the Hurler, but they have a they have a wooden roller coaster. But during this period of time, everything was Paramount. There was a Star Trek ride. And there's a Days of Thunder ride, and there was, and then when Cedar Park's bottom, everything went more generic. A lot of these, there was a there was a Top Gun coaster that I think became Afterburn or something. Now they all have generic names. And if Cedar Fair buys them, I was looking at the, uh, I'm sorry, if if uh, Six Flags buys them, I was looking at the Six Flags website, and they have like DC Comics, and they have Warner Brothers, Bugs Bunny, and all that. So I can imagine that taking over. Some of these uh, generic names, and then I think Carowinds has peanuts right now. When I was a kid, it was Hanna Barbera Land. <laughs> they had oh. Scooby Doo and the Flintstones and the Jetsons. I would so. have loved that. <laughs> but you know, uh, they have Scarowinds right now. Yes, and I'm. I you know what? I want to know if it's too scary to take my son. I would love it. All right, I'm gonna give you a pro tip. Okay. All right. This is from experience, about two or three years ago. Scarewinds is great. Now, Scarewinds is, is for the Kids a little older, getting okay. towards the tweens. Or so the it teens. is a little bit more scary. Oh, it's then. it's legit scary. They okay. actually hire they hire young people to to be scarers. The dress up and their simple task is to walk around the park and jump out of bushes. And they have this thing where they put uh, the like baseball catcher knee pad or knee guards on. Yeah, and then they'll slide out in front of you. And uh, th- th- they do a real good job of it. But here's the pro tip. Okay, I went to Scarewinds. Maybe you want this, but I'm just giving you a warning. I went to Scarewinds. My son and I and several of his friends went, and my daughter, I think, was there too, one night several years ago right after a big storm blew up, but it never materialized. So the sky looked like it was going to rain cats and dogs, and it basically scared everybody away. And so we went anyway, and so it was like we had the whole park to ourselves. Oh, wow. Which is really awesome, except when you are, (laughs) you know, one person to, I don't know, five or six employees, that ratio, when their job is to scare you. Oh, yeah. We were afraid to go from one ride to the other. (laughs) I mean, it was like every bush you would come out of there. It was That's a, crazy, but the sliding in front of you—I've never seen anything like that. Oh, they—they are. I hope they wear catcher's mask if they're going to do that, because I might knee a few people. They well, I'm telling you, if you go to Scarewinds, be prepared to be scared. Hence, <laughs> but uh, when you when when, when a big big storm blows up. <laughs> that's not the time that I would recommend that you go. I, re- I recommend that you go. We, we went last year and had a ball. Yeah. But the uh, I think the, I'll leave the kiddo at home for that one though. The proportion of of. Uh, Park guests to employees was more along, along the lines of what you would expect it to be, <laughs> besides the year I went when the big storm blew up. But just a pro tip about Carowinds, and if uh, Six Flags buys Carowinds, that's going to be interesting. Uh, not a done deal, but it looks like uh, it very well could happen with Cedar Fair. We'll keep watching this story, and Pam will 
someday go to Carowinds. Yes, good when luck. it's cooler. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Whenever that happens. Yeah, good luck with that. Thanks for listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Hear Bo live weekday mornings 5 to 8 on WPT's Morning News and 8 to 10 on the Pat McRory Show with Bo Thompson. Plus, on demand anytime at WPT.com and Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.